today we continue the sermon series in the midst. And in the midst is going to be a series where we really focus in on the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And Daniel is so rich with some of the greatest stories, the kinds of stories we tell our kids, and um, the kinds of stories that make that lasting impression on us about what it means to live as a person of faith. So I want to, this morning, since we've already heard the message Uh, of the story through our wonderful children's moment with uh, Tasha bringing that lesson to us. Uh, I want to read just an excerpt beginning with the 24th verse of the third chapter. Just an excerpt and then I'll fill in the blanks throughout my uh, my sermon as I kind of spin around and weave um, throughout this this story throughout my message. So beginning with the the 24th verse we read, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king, he replied. But I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace, blazing fire, and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the highest God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, and the prefects, and the governors, and the, uh, the kings and counselors, they gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their tunics were not harmed. And not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, today, uh, the sermon series in the midst, we're going to be looking at at what it means to be serving in the midst of sacrifice. And oftentimes, when we think of serving, we think of that work that we do, right? The hands-on work or the work of the feet in going wherever we need to go and doing that physical work uh, on behalf of the living Lord. But I want to take service back a level. I want to talk about what we do when we serve God, which is a a service that is our honor, our glory, and our praise, that is the bedrock of all that we do. It's the service of being. It's being who we are as God's children that often comes with sacrifice. You know, we've already read part of the third chapter of Daniel. Uh, We've already heard the larger story delivered in the children's message. So what are the relevant messages out of Daniel 3 that we want to look at today? I, I have a few, and the first lesson that I'd like to share is this one. You can have a religious experience without being converted. Wow. You can have a religious experience without being converted. 
Now, King Nebuchadnezzar did that. We read just last week in the second chapter, remember, that he had this dream and, and, and no one could uh, tell him the dream or the interpretation, but Daniel prayed and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they prayed and Daniel delivered not only the interpretation of the dream to the king, but he delivered the dream itself. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his uh, face and he uh, paid homage to, to, to Daniel and he promoted Daniel to a high status and he promoted uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to a high status. And, and that was just in chapter 2 and now here we are in chapter 3 and it seems like that the conversion wore off, doesn't it? it? It seems like things are different. Now in the seventh chapter of Matthew's gospel, Jesus talked about how he would deal with the unconverted religious folk in the day of judgment. And in the seventh chapter, the 22nd and 23rd verses, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me you evil doers. Wow. You know, many people believe that God exists and that Jesus is the Son of God. But, but Jesus also tells us even the devil believes that. You know, the devil believed in the presence of God. We have that in the early part of the Gospels because the devil's tempting Jesus in, in the wilderness. He knows exactly who Jesus is. You know, we can believe that, uh, that Jesus died on a cross for the sins of humanity, but, but even the devil believes that. Many people uh, believe that. But until that death on that cross becomes a personal reality, until we receive the salvation God has to offer us, then, then it's just an unwrapped gift. It's a gift that we've been given, but we haven't experienced and when we do experience it, it, it changes everything because we avail ourselves to the Holy Spirit and God's working in us and making us new. And as we Methodists say, perfecting us in Christ's love, bringing about that perfect love of God in and through us in the way that we relate to others. Most of us have a ways to go, don't we, including this preacher. But we pray that God will perfect us in love, will bring us to a, a greater place of love. Of God and of our neighbor. The king doesn't seem to have been converted. The king seems to have just had spiritual goosebumps in chapter 2. He, he had a, 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 a spiritual emotional experience. And, and it was quite a scene. But it didn't seem to change his heart. So we pick up here in the third chapter of Daniel's um, book and, and we have this construction of this statue of gold. Some say it may have even been an image of the king. It was surely the king's statue. And, and it stood 90 feet tall. So let's put that in perspective. The Statue of Liberty is 130 feet tall. And those of us who've seen the Statue of Liberty, we know that it looms. But there in New York City, among all those skyscrapers, it, it kind of loses some of its, its height. In our minds. Uh, so we Texans, we've all driven down to Houston on I-45, right? And when we've come into Huntsville, it's more impressive when you're coming back from Houston into Huntsville. You see that statue of Sam Houston, right? Tall, white, against the, the pine trees. He looks so massive. That statue is 67 feet tall. 
And, and so this 90-foot statue is huge, and, and it's in the plain of Dura, which is this flat plain outside the city of Baghdad. And, and so people could see this statue for miles and miles and miles away. It was a skyscraper in essence. You know, I saw a funny on Facebook this week. Somebody posted, they said, you know, in West Texas, you, you can watch your dog run away for two weeks. It's so flat. You can see for so, so long. That's the way it was in, in the plain of Dura. And you could see this statue looming. And no doubt, in seeing it for miles and miles, it was awe-inspiring. You know, sometimes we erect statues, don't we? I don't think we intend to. But, but oftentimes, we find ourselves looking at our business, and we may say, you know, I built this business from scratch, and through hard work and good judgment, and look how big it's grown. And we realize that we're creating a statue. Or we say, behold my house, look at the square footage and, um, and the pool out back. And I've got antiques and I've got beautiful paintings and artwork. And, and then we realize we're building a statue. And we clergymen, we can get in on the act too. We talk to others about how large our churches are, how big our budgets are. Uh, the book that we're, we're writing. And then we realize we're building a statue. And then like a slap in the face comes Proverbs 16, 18. And I want us to underscore this this morning. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. You know, the background of the scripture that we read today the preceding verses tell us that Nebuchadnezzar called together all of the civil servants of the kingdom to the plain of Adura for the dedication of his great statue. And there he had the orchestra assembled. And, and he commanded them to, to play. And he commanded the people when they heard the orchestra that they were to bow down and to give homage to this graven image, this statue. And he said that anyone who wouldn't do that, he, he liked to say would be torn from limb to limb. He said that in the second chapter. He said that in the third chapter. But, but he also said something more. They'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. You know, remember in the previous chapter how the Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had been promoted to be administrators over the province. They'd been recognized for uh, who their God was and for their integrity. And, and so that integrity continued in that, um, that no doubt in their being raised to this new level, they offended some of those who got passed up. And they told on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they weren't about to bow down to the idol that the king had constructed. And, and the reason for that is that the, these Hebrew boys, they, they knew the second commandment. They knew what God had said. You shall not make of yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. No idol worship. That's rule number two. 
And Nebuchadnezzar called the boys into his, his, his court and he questioned them. And, and we don't know where Daniel was. Perhaps Daniel was out of the country on, on, on business, doing something for the king. But he wasn't there. But there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they were questioned, they had a, a simple, straightforward answer. They pulled no punches. They said, O king, we offer no defense. No defense. If you throw us into the furnace, our God is able to save us. Oh, but that's not the best. If you read the 18th verse, because this is one of the great statements of faith in the Bible. The Hebrew boys said to the king, but even if God does not save us, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold. Why? Because they'd made commitments that were so deep. They'd already decided where they stood on this issue related to graven images. They, they were people who followed their God no matter what. And they'd go into the fiery furnace if that was what the king desired. But they wouldn't go in there alone. They'd go in there with the God who would accompany them in all of their integrity. Friends, that's real faith. Uh, that, that's what we call servanthood. That's what we call an understanding of whose we are before an understanding of why we do what we do. Sometimes we try to bargain with God. Now, I know I've been there before. You may have been there before. It's a little bit embarrassing to have to admit. But sometimes we say, God, if you'll just get me out of this pickle. If you'll get me out of this fiery furnace. I'll do X, Y, and Z for you for the rest of my life. If you'll do this, I'll do that. It's almost as if we're playing let's make a deal with God. And what's behind door number two or whatever. God doesn't work that way. God, God doesn't call those kinds of shots that way. We, we follow God knowing that God is good all the time and all the time God is good and God would not do anything to harm us. And yet we find ourselves in the midst of harmful circumstances. And that's exactly where God wants to be with us. When we're in those circumstances, God wants to be with us. And in some people, they, they get angry with God when they, they pray about saving a marriage or, or saving a business or they pray about uh, someone being healed and, and that prayer doesn't seem to be answered and, 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 and we blame God. And we say, God, we made a deal. But God doesn't make deals. God's driven by, by measures far beyond our understanding. And God responds to us always in acts of love. They're just not always the way that we believe they should be shown to us. You may be in some kind of crisis today. You may be facing some sort of hardship. You may feel like you're in the midst of a fiery furnace. Ask God to help. Ask big things of God. Don't put demands or limits on God. But because whatever you'd want to deal with God wanes in comparison with what God wants to give to His children. 
King Nebuchadnezzar had a temper tantrum. We hear, hear about that. And he ordered that the furnace be heated up seven times. I don't know how he did that. And, and, and yet it was so hot that the, the men who uh, threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into that furnace, they were consumed by the fire. It burned them up. And yet, there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound and thrown into the furnace. I guess the only things that burned up were the ropes. Because there they were walking around in the furnace and the king could see it. Because he could look through this bottom door where the fuel and the air were introduced. And he could see through that door that there were not three men, three young Hebrew boys, but there was a fourth. The king says, I see a fourth man. And then uh, look at this. You might want to underline this in your Bible. In one version it says, it looks like a son of the gods. A son of the gods. Now we do not know exactly who that was in there. Some said it was an angel. I like to think it was a son of God. I like to think it was Jesus right there in the midst of the fiery furnace. We know that Jesus didn't begin his life on earth in Bethlehem. That, that Jesus pre-existed his life on earth. He was with God before the very beginning. That's what scripture tells us. And therefore Jesus could have been in that fiery furnace. And I believe it was the living Lord himself. I believe that the Lord Jesus took on human form primarily in order to be with us and to remind us that he's with us. Just like he was with the Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. And here's old Nebuchadnezzar, he's shocked again. The Hebrew boys were brought out of the fire and I love how it says... The, the hair on their head wasn't even singed. The hairs on their arms, no singe. There was not even a smell of smoke on them. Now, I can't get that good when I'm burning a bonfire, can you? I mean, they didn't even have smoke on them, and they were in the fire. And the king praised the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who rescued them. He said, no other God can save in this way. And we can only pray that this time his conversion was for real. And he promoted Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego again. You know, I find three more life lessons I want to share briefly with you. Three more truths from this word. And the, the, the next one I want to share says that God's people don't give in to peer pressure. The Hebrew boys didn't and neither should we. When we establish our principles, our, our values, then, then we don't find ourselves giving in to principles. We've made the decision ahead of time. Now I remember when I was growing up, some of you can't remember this, but you know we had antennas for our televisions and we could get two or three channels. We couldn't get television like we do today, of course. But we watched the same shows over and over and over again. And I was thinking this week about one that we watched called Candid Camera. And it was a funny show. I mean, it was spoofs and they played tricks on people. And I remembered one this week that was about peer pressure and it was very distinctive. They had these six or seven actors who were crammed into this elevator and they were all facing the back of the elevator and when the elevator would stop on a floor and the person there a man or a woman was ready to get in 
They'd see all of these other people facing the back, and guess what they would do? <laughs> they knew that you faced the door of an elevator, but no, they, they would cave into peer pressure, and they too would face the back. Now they were in the very back of the elevator, or it felt like it to them. Well, that was funny. It, you know, this past week, I got a, a call, um, or actually a text, from a good friend of mine in Houston. He and I were on staff at First Church Houston back uh, 25, 30 years ago, actually, 30 years ago. And, and uh, when we were in Houston at First Methodist, right downtown Houston, the dress code was suit and tie every day. That's the way you went to work. And so Charles Thompson, my good friend, he's been a dear friend ever since those days, he would tease me about our mentor who was pretty particular about dress. And, and, and I was wearing a little light blue uh, linen jacket last week when I was preaching. I thought it looked pretty good and I had on a pretty uh, swanky tie and I thought it looked pretty good. And Charles said, you know, you're dressed today in that coat and that tie. Uh, that wouldn't have met Henson's approval. <laughs> So I guess I caved into peer pressure. Look at me today. I have on a, a, a darker sports coat, and I have on a conservative tie just like Charles Thompson would be wearing right now. But Charles, look here. I've got on blue jeans. Blue jeans, yeah. I've got on blue jeans and shoes that I don't think ever are shined. But anyway, so I'm just saying that we can't cave into peer pressure at least all the way, right? And I remember, um, too, about... Um, about other times that I know I've caved into peer pressure. And, and you can think of those times too. I, I want to give us a few examples. What about when you're out to eat with friends and someone tells you a, a sexist or a racist joke that's demeaning? It, it's a stereotyping of people. What do you do? Do you laugh and just kind of carry on as if nothing happened? Or, or, or do you do that very uncomfortable thing and say something like, well, let's not get demeaning of others, okay? Let's talk about something else. It's hard not to cave into peer pressure. Or somebody in the office, maybe the boss, wants you to go to this annual party, a casino party. Probably it's in a club, and at this club there, um, there, there's um, drinks and other things delivered by sexual allure, if you know what I'm talking about. And, 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 and it offends every aspect of your faith. And, and, and yet the peer pressure is so great. Do you say, you know, I'm just not going to go to the party? Or someone posts something that is just plain crazy. and Obviously based on falsehoods. Do, do you just let it go and let it continue? Or do you make the mistake of, of, of saying, you know, I, I, I beg to differ, respectfully disagreeing. And then you have the ire of all the other friends. I love that term, friends. You know, sometimes we friends, we act like our worst enemies, don't we? It's hard to take a stand. But we know when the Holy Spirit's whispering in our ears, okay, step up, step out, take a stand, serve your God. You know, the reason that the Hebrew boys were prepared for the big test is because they made their decisions ahead of time. You know, I once heard that a decision is best made. Let me get this right. This, the decision I best make is in moments when I'm ready to make them, not in my worst moments. 
In other words, we make those decisions in our best moments ahead of time so that in the worst moments that we have to move into from time to time, the decision's already been made. It's not left up to emotion. It's not left up to a whim. It's based on who we are called to be by the living God. St. Paul, the great commandment in Romans 12 Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's another life lesson. When the heat is on, Jesus is close. Isn't that comforting? When the heat is on, when we're in the furnace, Jesus is close. When you don't get that promotion because you just didn't play the right office politics or you stood for something that was not popular but it was right, Jesus is close. When you don't get elected cheerleader because some ridicule you for being Miss Purity, Jesus is close. When you don't uh, take those... Those drugs, even if it's kind of not meant to harm anything, but you take a stand and others talk about you in your school, Jesus is close. And when some of your colleagues at work may say, you're narrow-minded regarding your morality, Jesus is close. When someone calls you a racist just because of your political party affiliation as a Republican, Or someone strongly insinuates that you're not really a true Christian believer because of your party affiliation as a Democrat. Jesus is close. You know who you are and what you believe and the opinions that you have based on your faith. Jesus is close. Where can you be sure that Jesus will show up? He'll show up in the next fire that you face. How do I know? Because Isaiah said it long ago. The prophet said, When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Jesus always shows up when His children dare to take some heat for His honor, for His glory. And then we're servants. Now here's the final lesson. After the fiery furnace... A disciple, a servant, is better. You know, an athlete is better after they've been in high-pressure games, right? And the more they've been in, the better they are. A soldier is better after enduring combat. A Christian is better after she or he has been through some fiery furnaces with Jesus. In that last little book of the Old Testament, Malachi, We have this interesting description of God as the refiner of precious metals. Malachi 3.3 He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Now maybe we don't fully understand that, but I had a pastor friend in Tyler, Texas back I was there before I was here, so it's been 23 plus years ago. And David Dykes is still at Green Acres Baptist Church. But I remember a sermon illustration that he used about God being like a silversmith. 
And, and he said, you know, a silversmith will heat up the silver, uh, not hot enough to damage it, but hot enough that the impurities will rise to the top. And, and then the silversmith, he can, um, he, he can clear those impurities off of the top. And, and you know how a silversmith knows when the, co- when the silver's pure? He, he can see his reflection. And guess how Jesus knows? When, when we have become his servants and we live according to that servanthood he calls us to, he can see his reflection in us, the silver. God desires to purify us in essence, to make us whole. And and the closer we stand to Jesus, especially when we're in the midst of those fires, the greater the work of purity. When others see Jesus in us, what a wonderful compliment. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Changing our character, our attitudes, our churchmanship, our lifestyles, and our, our priorities reflect the Lord. You know, I want to close with this illustration. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. was locked up in a Birmingham city jail by his archenemy, Sheriff Bull Connor. For over 24 hours, King was held in solitary confinement, couldn't communicate with anybody. Uh, he wasn't even allowed a phone call. He was in a kind of a fiery furnace of sorts. But in that dark and cold and quiet kind of place, someone was there with him. And before Dr. King left that confinement, the unseen one had inspired him to write one of the most eloquent documents of American history. Letter from a Birmingham jail. And on April the 16th, 1963, King wrote this, and he wrote so much in that letter that's so quotable, but I just want to quote this. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outsider, agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. Are you in a fiery furnace? Are no one some, someone who, who is there right now? Dr. King was a servant because Dr. King has set his principles and values based on who he was as a Christian before he ever got into the fiery furnace of a Birmingham jail. We're called to do the same. Jesus will not always keep us out of a fiery furnace. We need to know that. But we can rest assured that Jesus will always meet us right in the middle of any fiery furnace that we may face. Friends, 
That's the best news I know how to share. Amen.